Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission. There's nobody else alive. I really, truly believe this. There's nobody else alive who would have occasioned this kind of outpouring. He was um, you know, a semi-deity to a lot of artists um, in Chicago, in New York, and really throughout the world. And that's why I think we've all felt so palpable a sense of loss. Welcome to WBBM In Depth. My name's Jill DeGroote. Stephen Sondheim, American composer and lyricist, Broadway legend, has died at 91. Today I'm talking to Chris Jones, chief theater critic for the Chicago Tribune, about Sondheim's life, legacy, and impact on Chicago and beyond. Thanks for being here, Chris. To start, could you tell me, who was Stephen Sondheim? Well, he was a composer and a lyricist from some of the most famous, some of the most famous shows uh, in American history. So the list of shows that Sondheim wrote the music for or the lyrics for reads like a sort of a history of the Broadway musical in the second half of the 20th century. So it would be everything from West Side Story to Gypsy to Into the Woods to Merrily We Roll Along to Follies um, to Bounce. um, And that's just a few of them. So he really did write the greatest American musicals of the second half of the 20th century. I don't think anybody could question that. Could you share what impact Sondheim had on the Chicago musical theater scene? So Sondheim has been a focus for the Chicago theater community for quite a long time. Um, For example, the Ravinia Festival in Highland Park had, this is mostly about a decade ago now, but they, they did a lot around Sondheim's 80th birthday, they did a multi-year celebration of his work. Chicago Shakespeare Theater on Navy Pier has long been a Sondheim specialist. Again, uh, around 10 to 15 years ago, they did a variety of very innovative productions of Sondheim musicals. So there's a close relationship between the Chicago theater community and Sondheim. Uh, He came here quite a lot. One of his musicals, Bounce, um, later called Roadshow, actually premiered in Chicago at the Goodman Theater. So he was here for the entire process for that. And that was, uh, as it's turned out, his last major musical. Um, So that's a sort of an interesting Chicago angle, to say the least. 
he also came here with the Tribune, gave him its literary prize in 2011. I interviewed him then at Orchestra Hall in front of, I don't know, a couple of thousand people. It was kind of a daunting experience. Um, so he came also in support of the Chicago Public Library. Um, and even some of the smaller theaters, like Porchlight Theater, for example, did a variety of Sondheim musicals over the years, uh, including a very rare production of The Frogs, which was actually done in the pool at Truman College, where Porchlight were performing. So from theaters big to small, from Ravinia to Theo Ubique, Chicago theaters have really feasted on Sondheim all this time. And that probably explains why when he died this past weekend, there was such an outpouring of affection for him, um, not only from national figures, but also from people in Chicago. You mentioned that interviewing Sondheim was daunting. Could you tell me a little bit more about that experience? I think Sondheim was a kind and generous man, but also very exacting and quite formal when he wanted to be and certainly frank at all times. And so that made for, a, you know, a complicated subject to interview. Um, you know, he could be a little prickly um, when he got what he thought was a dumb question. But really, when the interview sort of went, when, you know, got going, he turned out to be very generous and very likable and told lots of great stories. I just tried really to key up what I knew was his, or his most interesting stories. He came from, uh, you know, his background wasn't happy. His childhood wasn't happy. In fact, you know, his mother actually wrote him a letter saying that she regretted giving birth to him, which he talked about in the interview. And I thought it was the most extraordinary thing that, you know, for any parent to regret giving birth to a child is rare, but to regret giving birth to perhaps the greatest composer and lyricist ever is really rare. And so that was sort of, and how he processed that was sort of fascinating to me. But I think he would say that Oscar Hammerstein of Rogers and Hammerstein fame really saved his life by um, acting as a kind of surrogate father um, to him. So I think um, that really was what sort of helped him figure it all out. Um, but he was a very generous guy in terms of helping younger composers. It, it's been interesting in this weekend after his death, how many people have been posting notes from him on Facebook. He must have sent out hundreds, if not thousands of these letters to people, usually aspiring theater people wanting, to, wanting him to pay attention to their work or sending him fan mail or something like that or telling him how his shows had changed their lives. And he replied to them all. And, you know, that was kind of who he was. I also got to visit him in his house in, in, um, in New York City. He had a couple of houses, but the one I was at was in New York, a townhouse, a uh, fascinating place. And that was one of my more memorable experiences of my life as a writer, just to be with him. He was great. I mean, he, he was a really it, it focused sort of guy. The thing about him is that he really knew what mattered in life. Um, he wrote mostly about being an outsider, which many of us feel that we are at some point or another anyway. He wrote about love and how love is kind of a necessity for living. You know, the idea that 
one of my favorite songs, actually it was at my wedding, um, was this song that's from uh, the musical company, which I'm about to see in New York City this very weekend, actually. But in it, it sort of says, it's called Being Alive, and it sort of says, I might not be happy with you, or you might not be perfect, and I might not be perfect, but just getting to, you know, know that I'm alive by having somebody love me is what really what the meaning of life is. So it's a sort of about this imperative that we all have to love and be loved, which I, I think really shoots through Sondheim's work. He also wrote a great deal about the creative process. And a lot of his shows can be read as metaphors for creativity or taking a risk or the arts or trying to get better or trying to break in. There's lots of those um, shows really um, that appear to be about something else, but really they're about what it's like just trying to wrestle something new. Sunday in the Park with George is particularly like that. That's the main thrust of that show. It's about making something and withstanding the world's judgment and making yourself make something again. The other thing, that he mentioned in the interview that I've always found the most moving in a nutshell was he said there were two things that you can leave behind when you die. One is children and one is art. And he said, there's only really those two things that are worth leaving behind. And Sondheim didn't have any children, but his shows were to some degree his children and he left them behind and they go on and they will continue to like to delight. I think new generations of fans the other thing about him, you know, it's interesting because this revival of company that's opening in New York this um, in the next few days is um, has a woman playing Bobby, a character that was written, obviously, for a guy. And Sondheim not only approved it, but was involved with this new show. And it's sort of testimony to how he believed that the theater isn't sort of um, barabun, but... Um, should always be changing, should be living and vital. You know, some writers um, are very uh, protective of their work, and rightly so, but Sondheim was particularly open to innovative directors. And it'll be interesting to see now what happens to that. You know, hopefully whoever is sort of in charge of his estate will ensure that continues. But he was a figure in the American theater without peer. There's nobody else alive I really truly believe this. There's nobody else alive who would have occasioned this kind of outpouring. He was a you know, semi-deity to a lot of artists um, in Chicago, in New York, and really throughout the world. And that's why I think we've all felt so palpable a sense of loss. Could you share a little more about what it was like being in Sondheim's townhouse in New York? That was a very incredible experience. He He's a puzzle fiend, as you might know. So the bottom floor of his townhouse is filled with sort of puzzles, historic old novelty puzzles in cabinets. It's a sort of a lot of esoteria, you might say, uh, but he it was a fascinating environment. And it is a, you know, the, the room is almost like a museum of puzzles. I mean, I, I think it's sort of, he was a genius, you know, in an intellectual sense, he was a genius. And I think that his mind just made a whole variety of connections. One of the things about geniuses is they don't always know, they can't always explain their own insight. And I, I remember trying to ask him that 
So if you're with somebody, an Einstein of his field or a Shakespeare, and I think Sondheim truly was the Shakespeare of musicals, um, you want to say to them, how did you get to be this? How do you have this level of insight? How do you know so much about my life? How are you able to move me so much into shows? So much that I would want them at my wedding, you know? And he sort of looked at me and he can't really answer it because he doesn't really know, you know, it, 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 I, I think he hung on to a few key themes that were universal, like love, I mentioned them already, but like love and mortality, um, creativity, but they're very broad. And I think he deliberately kept them that way. And I remember him saying to me too, that he didn't think that his shows had much to do with one, the other. So in other words, it's not like you could say, well, you know, uh, Sunday in the Park with George led to Roadshow. It, it, it sort of didn't. He just did the projects that he was interested in. So in other words, he was kind of an artist without a gender. And that meant that he was like a, I mean, I hate to say cipher because that's not quite right, but he was like a, a canvas, really, that other people drew their lives on. I was really struck um, with all of the reminiscences of Sondheim about how much they told you about the reminiscer more than they told you about Sondheim, you know? So if you shared your memories about Sondheim and I shared mine, they would reveal more about us than they would about him. And that's because other people could see themselves in his art. What legacy does Sondheim leave behind? And how do you think it will impact the future of American musical theater? It's a great question. I think um, I think one of the interesting paradoxes of life is that you. Some of us are lucky to be born at the right time. Some of us are not. The thing about Sondheim, and the reason that I don't think there'll be another one quite like him, is the way. It's really the history of when he was born and when he started working. So, you know, around the Second World War, there were these great composers and great show writers, people like. Um, Rodgers and Hammerstein, obviously, and Leonard Bernstein, these figures that were around in the mid-20th century who were able to mentor this young genius, and they did. And then he was able to sort of carry them forward into a more experimental phase in the 1960s, 1970s, 1980s. And that led to, uh, you know, a sort of a mature phase even later than that into the 1990s. And then, of course, he continued working um, thanks to his very long life. So to some degree, we're, great geniuses sometimes live a long time, sometimes they don't. So I can think of, say, Lorraine Hansberry, great genius who wrote Raisin in the Sun, died in her 30s. Or Jonathan Larson, who wrote Rent, dead as Rent was opening. Not Sondheim, he lived 91 years. Um, and that meant that he was able to transcend all of these different era of the American musical, and that made it possible to um, that made it possible for him to sort of link, if you like, different different eras. And I think that he'll be seen in the future as the only figure who was ever able to do that in this century. I can't imagine there'll be anyone, to, you know, quite like it. I think he will be revered as Shakespeare. And I'm not, that sounds like an overstatement, but I really don't think it is. Um, 
he had this unbelievable gift, um, especially in his lyrics, I always think, his unbelievable gift of sort of um, concision, but at the same time, emotional profundity. And no one else remotely came close to him in that. Other people tried to emulate it or copy it or things like that, but nobody really could. So I, I think he's one of a kind. I think he would be seen as one of the giants um, of, of the theater always. And I don't think he'll ever go out of style. I think he's just, you know, I don't know. He's one of the giants in the sky now. And the, the, his shows are, will just go on. Um, it's just so weird to me to think that he's gone because he was one of those guys who was always working on the next project, always. So everyone was just sort of hoping he'd pop out another show. And he was noodling on a couple of things, but not anymore. You know, it's a very sad thing as well. But also, what a beautiful life. That was Chris Jones, chief theater critic for the Chicago Tribune. Thanks for tuning in to WBBM In-Depth. Don't forget to subscribe on the Odyssey app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A News Radio WBBM podcast powered by Odyssey. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.